Welcome to the Australian Chiropractors Association podcast. The ACA is the peak body representing chiropractors in Australia. Hosted by ACA President Dr Anthony Coxon, these podcasts explore the science, art, philosophy and politics of chiropractic, as well as reviewing the latest research and discussing how chiropractors can strive for excellence in practice. Welcome to the Australian Chiropractors Association podcast. I'm your podcast host, Anthony Coxon. As primary contact practitioners, chiropractors do their best to provide gentle, effective and conservative care to improve health outcomes for their patients. We do this day in, day out, and patient satisfaction rates suggest that most of the time we do this pretty well. But obviously, we can't be all things to all people. A solid referral network really enhances the opportunity for the chiropractor to assist people who may require services outside our scope of practice. Severe low back pain, chronic daily headaches, complex regional pain syndrome, these are all examples of patients that commonly see chiropractors and are also examples where sometimes we need that little bit of extra help. In cases where medical approach may be warranted, it's good to know what your options are and when it might be the right time to refer. Today, I'm speaking with someone who might be able to help us enlighten us on this topic. Dr. Richard Sullivan is a pain medicine specialist and specialist anesthetist at Precision Brain, Spine and Pain Center. He has an interest in post-surgical pain and neuromodulation. He was recently the head of the Acute and Interventional Pain Service at the Peter McCullum Hospital in East Melbourne, where he maintains an ongoing clinical role. His focus is now on clinical practice, research, and advancing neuromodulation therapies in the private sector, where he sees patients with a diverse range of conditions, including post-surgical pain and cancer patients. His professional appointments include Victorian Director of the Australian Pain Society, and Chair of the Scientific Committee of the Australian New Zealand Neuromodulation Society, and a number of pharmaceutical and medical device advisory boards. Hi, Richard. Welcome to the ACA podcast. Hi, Anthony. Thanks very much. And I can see uh, you're actually right in between patients. You've still got your, uh, your surgical gowns uh, on at the moment. So, look, I understand you're busy. I really do appreciate your time. I just, oh, it gets even better, Anthony. I'm, I'm actually teaching on a cadaver course in Sydney today. So, oh, there you go. Hence, hence, the, hence the outfit. Very good. So, I assume you're obviously doing a lot of things uh, these days, but I assume you're spending more time as a pain specialist than an anaesthetist at the moment. In fact, I actually spend 100 percent of my time as a pain specialist these days. Right. Okay. And so, so that we understand your, your role, what are, you, what are the typical patients that would see you on a day-to-day basis? And do you typically manage these patients solo or do you work together with the other sort of health team at, at Precision? So the concept behind con, uh, contemporary pain management, um, Anthony, is that we do it uh, in what I refer to as an interdisciplinary fashion. So uh, the practice um, where I work uh, has a range of um, medical specialists so that includes uh, neurosurgeons, orthopedic spinal surgeons. Uh, we have um, pain physicians, musculoskeletal physicians. Uh, we have uh, neurologists, psychiatrists, and then we have um, a number of uh, allied health treaters. So we have psychologists, we have um, musculoskeletal therapists, uh, we have physiotherapists, and we have exercise physiologists um, among the team. Uh, so it's a, it's a broad practice, and the concept is that uh, we utilize the skill sets from any or all of those specialists uh, to best treat uh, the needs of uh, any patient referred through. 
So broadly speaking, when is it the right time to, to refer to a center such as yours or to a pain specialist and, and what information might you need from a chiropractor? I know traditionally uh, when chiropractors are thinking about referring to specialists, it's usually through the or via the GP. Is that still the case? So it's um, the typical referral pathway would be from one medical practitioner to another. Uh, in general, um, our advice is that uh, when you have a patient uh, and they're not moving down uh, or moving along a care pathway as you would expect, it's time to consider uh, looking at expanding uh, the scope of services available to them. Chronic pain is a disease entity in and unto itself. Um, there's a, a, a recognized um, a biomedical uh, process that happens within the central nervous system. Uh, and this is similar uh, irrespective of what the um, underlying cause of um, chronic pain may be. Uh, and what this means uh, is that uh, the chronic pain itself needs to be treated as a disease entity uh, in and alongside any other considerations, uh, be they uh, musculoligamentous, musculoskeletal, inflammatory, or uh, whatever um, uh, the primary or um, associated secondary condition um, uh, would be. Uh, at Precision Brain, Spine and Pain, uh, we have a number of uh, musculoskeletal um, physicians and occupational physicians uh, who are, through their uh, background and through their primary training, also general practitioners. And what that means is that a referral through to uh, the center by a chiropractor can be done directly. Uh, right. Essentially, that uh, would be triaged, um, and that patient would initially be seen by one of the specialists who has a background in general practice. And just thinking about practically how that plays out, is that the preferred uh, method of referral from your end or, or, or is it still preferred that they would go through a GP if they have a regular GP? I think regardless, it's important that the primary care physician is aware of any referral that's been made. Um, so I would suggest that it be done uh, with the um, understanding, knowledge um, and, if you like, uh, approval of the primary care physician. Uh, however, as stated, it doesn't have to come directly from the primary care physician. I think what's really important uh, is that the person referring uh, the patient through uh, is the one who has, if you like, uh, the clinical question um, or is looking to increase uh, the breadth of, um, of treatment paradigm. So if the chiropractor is the person who is thinking, uh, this is a situation that I think needs some specialist input um, or a spinal surgical opinion, um, or some assistance from the psychological perspective, it's absolutely fine that person be the primary point. Um, but again, I think these things need to be done uh, in a, a frank and open fashion uh, rather than sort of, you know, uh, just head down this pathway without uh, keeping everyone um, on, on board. And I think keeping on everyone on board is really important and developing that relationship and understanding because ultimately you will want an intelligent referral and, um, and some uh, primary care practitioners might feel a little bit intimidated uh, about that. How do you feel about receiving a telephone conversation from a chiropractor saying, look, I've got this patient, they present with A, B, and C, you know, what are your thoughts? Um, is this something that might, you might be able to help, um, help them with? Yeah, I, I think any practitioner um, who is looking to uh, further the care of, um, of their patient um, is uh, someone that I would be very keen um, to have those sorts of telephone conversations with, I'm, I'm not worried uh, about what their um, uh, what 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 their title might be. Uh, that's that's irrelevant. If there's a um, uh, if there's a professional engaging with the patients, 
um, and they've reached some roadblocks in terms of uh, progressing clinical care um, and they want some specialist support, then, then uh, it's, it's, a, it's a good segue into that conversation. And I guess this is all going to be dependent on the patient presentation, but um, obviously the, uh, the chiropractor referring the patient would be kept in the loop with appropriate letters uh, and informing them of progress and, um, and findings. Is it something where they go into your center and it's a, um, it's a program that they're on that's separate from other care that they receive, or is it a bit of a mix or does it just depends? Yeah, it does depend on the referral. So we'll receive um, uh, patients from uh, primary care presentations uh, and we will take on the vast majority of their specialist care. But equally, um, because we are a centre that has a, a number of um, specialist services, we can simply provide the add-on service. So uh, there is no expectation uh, that we are taking on um, the complete care of the patient at all. Um, and often it's a, it's a dialogue from the referrer and the patient. Um, and we provide uh, the level of um, service and treatment necessary and requested by the referrer. And in terms of the triage there, so um, obviously there'll be uh, a chiropractor maybe referring, thinking that, look, this patient may need to go down the neurosurgical point of, uh, or pathway, uh, or it might be that they uh, go down the, you know, the pain management pathway. Do you, is that a decision that you make as a team uh, on assessment of the patient? So we're very happy to receive a specialty specific referral. So if the chiropractor believes that this patient specifically needs a neurosurgical opinion, uh, we're very happy to receive a referral for a, neurosurg for a neurosurgical opinion. If the chiropractor simply has concerns about perhaps the um, amount or type of medication that a patient's on, um, or their failure to progress, or some concern that there may be some uh, underlying um, uh, issues related to chronic pain, and they want to make a generic referral, we're very, very happy to review the referral um, and make uh, the first point of contact uh, with what we see as being the most appropriate specialist. So let's talk more about your role now as a, as a pain specialist. And, and no doubt that um, most of the referrals coming from chiropractors probably are related to chronic and poorly responding neck and back pain and so forth. Um, let's talk about some of the procedures that you may uh, have on offer for these people, uh, diagnostic blocks, radio frequency, spinal cord stimulation. Can you just talk through some of those procedures? Yeah. Well, leaving aside um, the um, uh, open spinal surgical approaches, um, I myself with backgrounds uh, in uh, interventional approaches to pain as a um, parallel and uh, supplementary um, uh, skill sets to uh, other aspects of pain management. Uh, I uh, feel very uh, comfortable and confident in recommending uh, all of those approaches that you've just mentioned. So targeted injections uh, around the axial spine, including uh, facet joints, including um, uh, intervertebral discs, including um, uh, uh, higher cervical facet joints such as C12, um, and uh, down around the sacral region, major joints, including hips and knees, um, and um, uh, radio frequency treatments around those structures as well. Uh, then, of course, we can take things to um, the uh, neuromodulatory uh, paradigm, and that includes approaches such as spinal cord stimulation, peripheral nerve stimulation, dorsal ganglion stimulation, and even intrathecal pump placement. Uh, so these very much are um, supportive structures and tools um, around the integrative approach to pain management. So they are not... Uh, the definitive answer for any single patient that can be very useful 
in terms of the diagnostic and, um, and therapeutic um, process. So we know now that with things such as lumbar fusion for non-specific low back pain and, and certainly opioids for chronic low back pain that have been widely used in the past, but subsequently shown to be ineffective and indeed come with significant side effects. A lot of things that you're talking about there with the diagnostic blocks, the radio frequency and that spinal cord stimulation and so on, they're sort of quite invasive techniques clearly. And, uh, and, and we're really talking about this is the person who has tried everything but needs something to sort of get over a hurdle. I'm assuming that you're thinking far more broadly than going straight to those um, procedures first up. Yeah, so look, the, um, by the time the patients are referred through to specialist service, uh, the vast majority of the time, uh, fairly simple approaches to pharmacological management and, um, uh, and the basics around physical management have been uh, uh, instigated um, or cemented in place. Uh, however, there are situations where um, patients have uh, seen a, a physical therapist practitioner, including a chiropractor, uh, an osteopath, um, a physiotherapist, a work-size physiologist, uh, and the um, uh, treatment process may have faltered uh, because of a perceived lack of progress. Uh, and that is when these sorts of treatment paradigms can be utilized to help rekindle um, that approach. Because, uh, one of the things that I really want to emphasize here is that the interventional treatments uh, are used very much as a tool um, to help patients pass potential barriers um, to physical rehabilitation uh, and other physical treatments. So their rehab, their manual therapies, their um, mindfulness practices are all still fundamental to their recovery, but you're saying these sorts of things are just that little bit extra to hopefully help them get over that barrier so that those more fundamental um, and conservative um, approaches are, are likely to be able to be more effective. 100%. And of course, they're not applied in a um, generic fashion. Uh, we um, move forward with a um, differential. And if the differential includes a diagnosis that may be amenable to an interventional approach, um, then we would consider including that in the treatment paradigm. Uh, if the patient has a condition uh, where interventional treatments are, are unlikely to be of use, then we progress without the interventional approaches. Yeah. So I want to talk uh, now about some, some specific uh, presentations and we'll talk perhaps about migraine. Migraine often responds very well to chiropractic care. Um, it'll often respond very well to nutritional uh, changes, to stress management, but sometimes people just get persistent migraines that just don't respond well. So um, again, if by the time they see you, they've gone through the mill of just about everything else. What's uh, some of the approaches that you might use for a, for a migraine patient? Absolutely. So we have, again, an interdisciplinary approach to um, migraine sufferers. Uh, and this would typically include a pain physician, a neurologist, um, plus or minus a psychologist, as well as whoever um, the uh, attending physical therapist uh, or will bring one of the physical, physical therapists from within the practice um, into the fold. Um, it's the neurologist and the pain physician's job to go through the medical history uh, to see if there is uh, an underlying uh, genetic basis or hormonal basis um, to the migraine that may respond um, to a, um, a, a medicalized treatment uh, to uh, run through the um, uh, uh, pharma pharmaceuticals that can be helpful and also uh, substantially harmful in terms of migraine sufferers. So most of the uh, generic analgesics are actually counterproductive in migraine um, and can tend to perpetuate migraine or bring about um, a syndrome known as medication-induced headache. 
so oftentimes we'll be um, educating patients through the process of de-escalating uh, those sorts of medications, um, considering some of the migraine preventers if they're well tolerated and if effective, but then we can also talk around some of the interventional approaches where relevant. So for example, if there's a substantial cervicogenic component um, and there is evidence of some degeneration around cervical facet joints, um, or there is a lot of uh, tension uh, or um, a palpable aggravation around occipital nerves, then we may look at doing some targeted interventions there. And we can follow that through to uh, something along the lines of radiofrequency treatment if required. Uh, migraine is uh, quite responsive in many people to treatments such as Botox therapy. Uh, and now there are some um, uh, calcitonin gene-related peptide inhibitors um, that can also be um, uh, utilized. Uh, it is also a condition that can respond very favorably to neuromodulation in very select cases. So we actually have quite a range of um, therapeutic options for the migraine sufferers. So by neuromodulation, you're talking about uh, nerve stimulation again? Yeah, so um, the targets that we would look at for migraine sufferers would include um, the greater occipital nerves uh, or indeed um, stimulating the posterior part of the, um, uh, of the cervical spine. So we can actually place our stimulating electrodes uh, in the spinal uh, canal itself um, with the electrodes uh, in the epidural space up at around C2 and C3 and activation there of the, uh, of the uh, trigeminal um, cervical ganglion uh, can lead to a suppression of migraine and uh, reduction of migraine frequency. And the, and the patient can, can basically turn that on and off uh, at will at some little battery pack or a, a mobile phone app or something that controls that? So essentially, um, the technology is very similar to a cardiac or heart pacemaker. So it's a fully implanted system. And of course, this is not the entry point for um, treatment of these conditions. Uh, but certainly no. when these conditions are refractory um, and lead into substantive reduction in quality of life and reduced productivity, uh, then these things can be highly cost-effective in the long run. Um, and yes, that's exactly right. Um, they're essentially an implantable system uh, that is controlled externally. Uh, and what about things like chronic regional pain syndrome? What is that a similar approach uh, in terms of looking at getting the pharmaceuticals right if they need it? Um, when would you sort of, I guess, use a rheumatologist as opposed to a, a pain specialist for something like that? Yeah, so look, the, um, the clinical evidence is, is very strong uh, in favor of uh, limb reactivation at the earliest phase of complex regional pain syndrome. And so the, uh, the, the biomedical approach is really to uh, get the pain burden as low as possible to facilitate that reactivation and reutilization um, of the limb. Um, there's uh, growing evidence to show that uh, complex regional pain syndrome is a system systematic and systemic disease process that does involve um, uh, substantial longitudinal changes to the neuronal systems. Yeah. Uh, this doesn't, it's not just um, neuronal pathways, but it also includes the neurohormonal system and the neuroinflammatory system. And so the um, medications that can be effective speak to those effects. So whilst we um, do use some of the more traditional analgesics, such as um, anti-inflammatories and opioids in certain circumstances, more and more we're using things like free radical scavengers um, and medications that can uh, impact and affect the neurohormonal system as well and the neuroimmunological uh, um, system. Uh, the other uh, treatment modality that can be highly effective in terms of reducing pain burden, once again, uh, uh, done so to facilitate reactivation of the limb, is neuromodulation. So neuromodulation now has a strong evidence base 
uh, for the longitudinal treatment of complex regional pain syndrome. And can you use neuromodulation just for on with external devices, like uh, things like TENS machines and those sorts of things going to be as useful as, a, as an implant? So uh, TENS is a, uh, an entirely different therapy uh, to neuromodulation. Uh, TENS uh, uh, has its impact largely by activation of um, large neuronal fibers, so uh, A-beta fibers, A-beta sensory fibers. Um, and when you activate uh, peripheral A-beta sensory fibers um, and uh, those uh, uh, signals interact at the uh, dorsal horn level of the spinal cord, uh, you uh, impact um, or you uh, create um, a, a change in neuronal uh, transmission uh, that's collectively known as the gate control theory. Um, neuromodulation works in a different way. Uh, it uses electrical stimulation more directly of, uh, of spinal tissues um, and peripheral nerve tissues um, and alters things like gene transcription. Um, it also alters um, the neurochemistry within the, um, uh, the neurons and neuronal um, cell body clusters themselves. So whilst there is a, uh, a paradigm and, and a similarity conceptually, um, the actual treatments are very different. Uh, cannabidiol or medical marijuana has become more and more popular as an alternative for chronic pain management. And um, it's also potentially has use in other sort of neurological conditions. Have you had much experience uh, with uh, CBD and what are your thoughts and in terms of where the research sits on this at the moment? Yeah, sure. So look, um, uh, uh, the cannabinoids and the medicinal um, cannabinoid products um, in terms of where we are up to uh, with the clinical research, we're still in our, or the research is still in its infancy. Um, and we do need to watch the space, so to speak, in terms of uh, what role um, these medications are going to play longitudinally. And there are a whole host of reasons as to why um, the, uh, the current evidence is, is not as robust as we would like to see it. I think the answer is um, that the cannabinoids will play a role in management of chronic pain um, uh, moving into the future. Uh, currently, it seems as if their greatest impact relates to uh, anxietal states, so high levels of stress um, and also sleep deprivation. So whilst the current products do not seem to be uh, as effective at actually lowering um, pain experience um, or burden of pain, uh, they can have uh, additional beneficial effects in certain uh, individuals with chronic pain. They do have a, um, a significant side effect profile. Um, so the, uh, the ratio or number known as the number needed to harm uh, in terms of the current um, uh, products available uh, does make them uh, perhaps not the sort of medications that we would utilize in the first instance. Uh, but certainly for some patients who have access to these through the special access scheme through the TGA, uh, they are noticing improvements um, in things like mood and quality of sleep in other areas. So again, uh, um, I'm not um, going to suggest that these medications are going to come to the forefront of um, the management of chronic pain uh, in the near future, but I think there's very much a watch this space approach. Do you have any concerns about um, the accessibility for these uh, medications now? Because you can more or less just go online and purchase them. And some of them have just the CBD. Some of them have the THC CBD combinations. Um, where the is ones, there... Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a fair question. The, look, the, the products that can be accessed um, legally 
uh, uh, can be accessed only through um, utilizing the special access, access scheme through the um, TGA. To do that, uh, you need to have a prescriber. Um, so to do that, you have to have had a consultation uh, with a medical practitioner. Uh, in general, the clinics that are promoting utilization of the um, cannabinoid products uh, tend to um, uh, provide those services um, through general practitioners as opposed to specialist services. What I would recommend any patient who is seriously considering utilization of um, medicinal cannabis products would be to speak to a pain specialist um, about uh, whether they would um, endorse the utilization uh, of the medication. And that's more about having a strong understanding of what reasonable alternatives there might be. Because uh, oftentimes um, patients will be guided towards these therapies uh, when there can actually be um, other approaches that are simpler and safer and uh, substantially less expensive. Um, and for all of my patients, um, I absolutely mandate that they have some sort of um, access or input uh, from a physical therapist in the first instance. Yes, indeed. So just run through how things work uh, at Precision in terms of the um, integrating the, the various uh, modalities you've got there. If someone comes and sees you in the, in the first incidence, when does the psychologist or, or the um, musculoskeletal um, therapist get involved? How does that all work? Yeah. Look, so it depends on the presentation of the individual. It also depends on what services they're already accessing. So if I see a patient um, and uh, they're sent along for an opinion about their um, biomedical management and they've already got an established relationship uh, with a um, physical therapist, um, it, it, uh, the, the sensible approach is to maintain that and capitalize on, on that relationship and work with that relationship. Uh, if that patient hasn't seen a physical therapist for the last five years, I think that's one of the boxes that needs to be ticked right from the outset. Yes. Um, the, uh, the, the, the process very much is an on-needs basis. So if the patient needs to have an assessment by a neurologist, we'll facilitate that. But if a neurologist uh, is not going to be able to provide input um, into the diagnostic workup or the management of the patient, we don't utilize those services. And the same will apply for the spinal surgeons and for all other um, subspecialists working um, uh, within the practice. Similarly, if the patient doesn't need a pain physician, they don't see a pain physician. So really, we pull from the resources uh, to build up um, the, uh, the care in a robust uh, and uh, effective fashion for every individual referral. So if people want to uh, inquire and find out more about the services that Precision offer, because I understand you're, um, you have uh, offices right through the Eastern Seaboard or most, mostly from Tasmania up to Queensland, is that correct? Yeah, so currently we've got um, around uh, 16 consultation locations in Victoria, um, including um, uh, all areas around um, uh, the Central Business District and um, in and out of the suburbs of Melbourne. Uh, but also uh, Geelong, Werribee, um, as far as Mildura, um, and uh, out to Berwick and um, so forth. In Tasmania, uh, we have practice locations um, in Launceston, uh, in Burnie, in um, Devonport, um, and in Hobart. Um, in Queensland, we have offices um, on the, uh, the Gold Coast, um, down near um, uh, Coolangatta, um, and up by um, Southport and also Southern Brisbane. Uh, but there's also expectations around expansion um, further north into uh, northern Brisbane and Sunshine Coast. Um, and we're um, contemplative of looking at some places in New South Wales also. Fantastic. Well, um, people can, uh, I guess, go to uh, uh, the website if they want to find out uh, more information. And certainly, um, as you've said, there, uh, 
people who want to refer directly to you or one of the practitioners can certainly pick up the phone. That's as, as a first point of contact. And I think that's very reassuring for, uh, for, for chiropractors to know that, um, that they're included in this process, that they're not just handing over a patient and not seeing them again, that there's some uh, opportunity for learning uh, and, and support. So that's, that's terrific. 100%. Well, look, once again, Richard, thank you so much for your time uh, today. It's been really, um, I mean, it's obviously the job of uh, just about every chiropractor out there to try and uh, keep patients away from you if possible. But, uh, but clearly it's nice to, nice to know when it's absolutely needed that, uh, that there are people out there with your skill set as well. So thanks again yeah, for I'm, that. And thanks again, for I would just, I would just reiterate that it's, it's, it's an integrative approach and, and it's a collaboration fundamentally. Fantastic. And that's a, that's a right. good, uh, good finishing message. Uh, well, that's it for me. Thanks for listening. I hope this podcast has been helpful in your quest for excellence and I look forward to chatting with you again on our next ACA podcast. Mm-hmm.